Moved in by Port, checked to the corner, Claude Giroux, back of the goal, Sean Couturier. He'll wind it off the stick of Grice, it's free, Couturier, and it goes high off the glass. Now Myers at the point, his shot, scores! Phil Myers from downtown, and the Flyers win in overtime! Hey now. Welcome to the Sportscasters. This is Steve Bennett. And I'm in a shitty mood. And it is Thursday, August 27th. It's just Thursday. 27 minutes into the day. A day that can't be any worse than Wednesday, August 26th was. It's just a shit day. And I'm in a shit mood. And I'm not excited about sports. And there's no fucking concerts to go to. And I hate turning on the television sometimes. And I'm tired of politics. I'm just tired of everything. And I can be a miserable, moody bastard sometimes. I really can. And it's not, I'm not bragging, right? Like, it's not the best part of who I am. I don't think anyone... You know, goes up to someone in the street and is like, hey, how you doing? It's really good to meet you. I'm a moody, miserable bastard. And then the other person's like, oh, great. I was hoping to meet one today. You know, it's not always like the number one quality about me. And I get in moods like this and I try to just isolate myself so I don't say anything uh, to anyone that I care about that's going to hurt them or make them feel, you know, less of me. So I don't want that. And I do care about the people who listen to this, so maybe it's not the best time to record a podcast, but I wanted to get these interviews up because I have interviews stacking up. Today on the show, I have interviews with Jim Florentine. We're going to do that first. Jim, of course, was a host of that metal show, and he actually gave us a pretty big scoop, I thought, about that metal show. I tweeted it out today, and it didn't get any traction at all, partly because I have no traction on Twitter, but uh, he's also a comedian, uh, the host of Everybody's Awful Podcast, which is on Barstool now, and we talk about the move to Barstool, and it's a really fun interview. We'll do that first, and then we'll take a break. We'll quickly update the book club. There's not a lot going on there. I'm kind of taking a break from reading, and then after the book club, we'll talk to Corbin Reef who is the author of kind of the last piece of summer book club business. He wrote a book called Total Fucking Godhead about Chris Cornell, and I had a great time talking to him about Chris and his music and the work and the book. And we'll do that after the book club. And the book club is kind of done until the fall. Uh, But the fall is like tomorrow, right? So, I mean, it's right around the corner. Uh, And I do have an announcement of the first book that the book club will be reading this fall. We'll do that in the book club. Then we'll do one last thing. Here's my thoughts. I'm going to try to keep me out of this as much as possible because I'm a grouch. I'm miserable, and I don't want to say something uh, that's going to result in me no longer being able to have this podcast. 
because I feel like I'm in that kind of a mood. I should mention that I've also recorded an interview with Michael Fabiano, a fantasy football interview. Uh, I've also recorded an interview um, with Mike Triplett previewing the Saints season. I'm supposed to record an interview with Rudy Martsky, who wrote the sports media uh, column on USA Today from 1982 to 2006. I just don't know if the guy I'm talking to is really Rudy Martsky or if this, this interview is ever going to happen. If it does, great. If it doesn't, you know, whatever. I was also hoping to record an interview with Rick Emmett. Uh, the PR guy there agreed to do it, said he'd get back to me on the schedule. He didn't get back to me. I kind of circled back, and he gave me a pretty cold response, so I'm kind of doubting that's going to happen, which is too bad. I would have liked to do that. Um, but they're backing up. Oh, Sawyer Wise is going to be on the program. I might just put up a kind of a bonus fantasy football episode at the end of this week or this weekend sometime with the Fabiano interview and the, and the stuff from Sawyer Wise, who is a kind of a dynasty fantasy expert. I did one last thing about him a few episodes ago. I might just get that up because fantasy drafts are going to start happening in rapid, uh, rapid pace from here on out. If there's still going to be football, who knows what's going to be left of sports in the next couple days. Uh, but maybe I'll get that up this weekend. Anyway, it's a busy time for the podcast with or without the interviews that I was hoping to get. Like I said, I already have four recorded. I'm going to put out two today. Uh, I also recorded a podcast with Peter Winson, an Adams Division podcast, which goes up uh, today. As you're hearing this, it will be up on Place to Be Nation on the wrestling feed there. I'll plug that at the end, too. Look at these interviews are great. The, next, the two that are on this podcast. So don't think that I'm this grouch the whole way. The, the next two interviews are good. Uh, so let's get to them. Let's get me off and get to these interviews. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with Jim Florentine. Our first guest today is from New Jersey. He was the host of that metal show. He's a comic, a stern show legend. He was on Crank Yankers. He's one of the funniest comedians in the world. He's got a podcast on Barstool, and he's nice enough to join us today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Jim Florentine. What's up, Jim? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Uh, first of all, I haven't What's talked to you in a bit. Yeah, not much. Just trying to... Uh, you know what? You know what I'm having a hard time doing, Jim. And I was I was curious about you. Like, do you have enthusiasm for football like you normally do in August 25th or whatever? I, mean, I was just going to bring that up, and I got to do a Dolphin podcast later this week. No, I don't. I know, and it's weird because I thought going into the season I would, especially with, you know, a Miami Dolphin fan with them getting Tua, and they got all those free agent signings. I got. I, I, like I have to do research for this podcast on Thursday because I'm not really I'm following a little, but not I'm not obsessed like I usually am at all. Yeah, you know I I'm a you know a lifelong Saints fan, and I have every reason to be thrilled about this season. And I know part of it when everything that happened with uh, with Drew Brees, and you know the way I felt like a lot of his teammates didn't have his back. There was two guys. Marcus Davenport and Joe Horn, who hasn't been on the team to, since 2006, who actually really stood up for him publicly. And I felt like the rest of the team, 
you know, you want to say whatever to him and about him, he had his back. I felt like there just should have been more support for him when the mob was all over his case. And I know that got me down. And then, you know, now they're going to like sing two national anthems and one of them is going to be a black. I didn't even know there was a black national anthem. There's not going to be fans. They're going to be kneeling. There's going to be so much social justice attached to it. I don't know. I just can't get pumped for it for whatever reason. No, and, you know, I think they're going to have decals in the back of the helmets if you want to wear one. No, I mean, you know, Roger Goodell caved in to the mob. Like, yep. already, I saw an article yesterday. He goes, uh, we should have listened to, uh, uh, you know, Kaepernick. We really should have listened to him. I regret not listening to him. You did listen to him. You invited him to your office fucking 10 different times, and he never came. And there was three different teams that wanted to sign the guy. And, he, you know, the Broncos couldn't guarantee him being a starter, so he, he turned that down. The Seahawks tried to sign him. The Ravens were going to sign him. And then the night before, his girlfriend puts on that the owner's a KKK, a white supremacist, puts a meme out there so they don't sign him either. So he's had his opportunities. They set up a tryout yeah, so for he him. Just, and he, he, he saw, you know, in two years when Kaepernick was kneeling, the ratings went down 19%. So then, you know, Goodell said, hey, listen, man, he went to the network. Stop showing them kneeling, and this thing will go away. The last two years, they stopped showing any guys that were kneeling. They weren't showing the national anthem. And everything was back, and people were back watching football. Now he's going to do it again. He's a fucking idiot. Yep. And the NBA is already seeing, you know, they're getting crushed every night by Tucker Carlson and, you know, cable news, things like that. Like, they've had a huge drop. And I thought, man, no matter what, people are just going to want sports. Like, every sport's going to get that huge, that initial bump from just missing the games. But it just doesn't seem like it's worked out that way. Like, even with baseball, I love watching a ball game. You know, but right away, six days in, there's like, oh, this team's positive. They're not playing tonight. We're going to do seven-inning doubleheaders. I'm like, you know, should I get into this, or are they going to just pull the rug out from under me? You know, I've kept it arm's length. And now with football, you know, another thing, Jim, like I get pumped up. Like I like Hard Knocks. I think it's a great show. And it's one of the things in August that gets me right. It gets me in that mindset. Like, all right, football's coming. I watched the first episode, and it's a bunch of dudes getting COVID tests. And I'm just like, eh. Oh, really? I haven't seen it. Is that what it is? Yeah, like the first episode was an hour of like, these are the protocols right. and this is what we're doing. You know, there's there's no like learn about the eighth string, you know, cornerback who might make the team, which is like their usual go to, you know, thing. It's it's just like ugh, that that didn't help. You know, that didn't that didn't get me where I wanted to be. So I've just. I struggle with that, and it's interesting to, to hear you have too because I was excited to, to, to have you on and, and hear, like, because you've been on so much, like, yeah, we got Tannehill, but it kind of sucks, or, you know, we got, now we have uh, the uh, Fitzpatrick, and, like, he's okay, but, you know, he's going to suck. And I, I was looking forward to hearing that enthusiasm from you finally about getting to, uh, and, like, the way things playing out perfectly for the Dolphins, right? Because probably if he doesn't break his hip or if Joe Burrow doesn't just blow up, He's probably not there at five, you know, so for them Absolutely. to get him. Yeah, it just it worked out like, you know, like worlds lined up for for him to get there. And yet, you know, and I'm sure I'm, I'm not putting words in your mouth and I'm sure to some degree you're still pumped that Tua is there. It's just like the enthusiasm is not maybe what we would have expected, if you agree with that. That look, I, I, I spent the whole last year rooting for them to lose and it was really tough. Right. Watch your, te- you know, root yeah. for your team to lose, 
And, uh, you know, I did all of that, and they still won five games. They beat New England, which was fucking great the last game of the year. I was even mad that they beat New England because I wanted Tua. They get the fifth pick at a draft. I'm like, they're fucked. There's no way to get into Tua right. now because they won these dumb, meaningless games, and lucky they did get them. And then the shit hits, and it's still not over yet. It's just like, I don't know, man. They just announced in Miami you could have 13,000 or 20,000 people in the stands, which is good. You know, uh, and I I saw the Bills coach bitching about that. Well, sorry, get a fucking governor to have some balls. Right. You know, when you can go in a 60,000-seat stadium and put, you know, 20% in there or whatever like that. Anybody could do that. You're outside. It's not like you're indoors sitting on top of each other. But, you know, Cuomo's a fucking pussy. Guy won't even open gyms, schools, everything in New York City shut down. It's a fucking joke. There's been no deaths in New York City for like the last six days. And everything is completely shut except for a few restaurants on a sidewalk. It's a fucking joke. Jim, I'm in Buffalo. Erie County and Niagara County are the two main counties. Between the two of them, we don't have 100 active cases right now of COVID. Right. So, like, what? So they can't have any fans. They can't have any Bills fans in the stadium. Right. None. Not, not. You can, you can pack Wegmans or whatever as long as you socially distance and mask. But we can't. Why can't we apply that to stadiums? There's plenty of room in that stadium. People can't. Nobody social. Nobody. Nobody stays apart from each other in Wegmans. I go to the Wegmans near my house, and everyone's all over each other. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for the eggs. Somebody else is reaching for fucking yeah. eggs. Nobody goes. Okay, someone coming down an aisle. No one's gonna go. Okay, you go down the aisle first, and then I'll go down the aisle. Everybody's walking by each other. Everybody's waiting online. All that other bullshit. So there's no people apart. Yeah, it's insane. I remember when this started and the, the narrative was like, we need to chill for 15 days to flatten the curve or whatever. And it's like, all right. But it seems like now what have we gotten to the, it's, it, does it have to be zero? Because if it's, if 100 cases isn't good enough to go about life, so that means zero or what? Or do we have to wait for the numbers in Texas? That somehow matters. You know, I just don't. I don't get it, and it's nobody here amazing. gets I it. I know, no, it has to be zero, and then we haven't seen anything yet. Wait till they get a vaccine, and then wait till businesses or stadiums or whatever are going to go. Listen, if you don't have the vaccine, we can't let you in because other people are, are you know, don't want to be here. They don't want to catch corona, even though they got the vaccine. Which, if right. you got the vaccine, you shouldn't get it. You shouldn't have to worry about it. But you're still going to have that. I need to see proof that you got the the vaccine or you can't come in this stadium or you can't go to this restaurant inside or whatever that shit's going to be coming next because a lot of people said they're not taking the vaccine yeah especially you know the first vaccine i mean we're going to be guinea pigs to a large extent like they're going to rush it you know what i mean so it's not going to be vetted the way vaccines normally are so you're going to be asking people to take at least some level of risk i would think by taking this vaccine and some people don't want to take the vaccines that are 50 years established or whatever, you know, like, right. So you get, and then it's probably going to, you're probably gonna have to take more than one dose. So how long do you know, two or three doses? So over the course of three months. Yeah. And, and now you're in comp, like you've got to feel like you've been, your way of making a living has been, I mean, what, what is the mood in the comedy community right now? Like, how are you, like, how is that aspect of your life? Style, man. What you know? Yeah. You know, we're still we're doing some outdoor shows, but as soon as it gets cold out, I'm in New Jersey. You're in Buffalo. You yeah. Know, um, that area. You you know, by mid to late October, we're fucked because everything's going to be inside, so no one's going to sit outside to watch a show. So we're doing some outdoor shows, which is good. But we know it come you know late October, we're fucked again. 
if they're not letting you inside in like New York, like in New York City or whatever, New York, they're not letting you inside now in August when it's 90 degrees out. They're not letting you in in November. Right. And, you know, I might There's be no able, fucking way. I might be able to swallow all this a little bit more, but the inconsistencies and the hypocrisies, you know, are just too much for me to take sometimes. You know, like we already talked about Wegmans. That's okay. You know, I went to Lowe's one time to get a new grill because I needed a grill. Like, I was amazed how many people were in Lowe's and how, like, why is that okay? And I'm glad it is, but, like, you know, if that's okay, why isn't, you know, if protesting is okay. My Home Depot's packed all the time. The Walmart's packed. All the stores are packed. Right. But people are afraid to vote, allegedly. Right? Or, you know, whatever. Like, there's just so many inconsistencies. Like, I don't know. I'm frustrated. I know you're frustrated. You know, when, you put in a, when you put it in a politician's hands, they don't want to. They don't want to be blamed for one death. So they're going to be super extra, extremely cautious, and it fucks everybody else. They don't care that the mom and pop stores or the local businesses are going to die. People, you know, put their blood, sweat, and tears in it for twenty, twenty-five years. They don't give a shit about that because they don't want to be blamed for one death because that could be a vote that they'll lose. Right, but yeah, Como, who you know, second highest death per million. Most deaths total, you know, a disastrous nursing home decision, which killed most of the people. And he's out taking a victory lap. He's got a poster. You know, he's got a book coming out. He's got this arrogant attitude. I just like people here are just it's flipping on him, too. At first, people bought into the I guess the narrative that like he did a good job and we should be happy we have him or something. But it he's losing. It, it's flipping. People are fed up. More and more every That's day. That's good because yeah. they should really, you know, they blame it on the guy in Florida, the, the governor down there. Meanwhile, there's, you know, a fifth of the deaths New York had. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, yeah. Like, so With like, more population. What, so what did he do? He didn't put, right, he didn't, yeah, a bigger population. Older and, people. And a fifth of the deaths of New York. Yep. But he's the bad governor, not Cuomo. Sure. Of course he is. Cuomo, you know, Trump yeah. sent Cuomo a ship. They had a ship. They had the Javits Center. They had beds already. 30,000 ventilators. I don't need 300. I need 30,000. Okay. Okay. Then 30,000 ventilators. They used 273. Uh-huh. Yep. And, and, and no one was ever on the ship. No one was ever in the Javits Center. They're completely empty for two months. And and for a long time, Cole was like, yeah, you know, I got to give Trump credit. He's giving me everything I asked for. You know, he's working well with me, blah, blah, blah. It seemed like they were doing good. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, it's all the federal government's fault because I guess – he needs someone to blame, right? So I guess that's yeah. where he's pushing his his influence. But, you know, I get nervous when I talk about this stuff on the podcast. You know, I feel, and this is another thing I can't imagine as a comedian, you know, you're always looking over your shoulder. You know, is this okay to say? Is that okay to say? You know, I had a, I had a guy from OutKick on the podcast who, who covers, uh, that's Clay Travis's website and now also... Uh, yeah, Jason, yeah. Jason Whitlock You're as well. Right. Yeah. And it's considered, I guess, a, cons- a conservative-leaning um, site. Now, I've had this podcast since 2011. I've had Richard Richard Deitch as kind of a mentor of mine. You know, Jimmy Traina, um, Will Leach. Uh, these are huge names in sports media that are extremely left-leaning. I've had them on over and over and over and loved having them. Love all those guys. No problem with that. I had this one guy from OutKick on one time. We didn't talk any politics at all. And I got two emails from people saying, like, wow, I'm really disappointed you would give that that site, like, platform or something. And I was just like, wait, what? Because, yeah, look, <laughs> look, this is the narrative out there. If, unless it, it aligns with your views, then you can have a person on. But if it doesn't, 
then you're not allowed to have them on. Right. They're disappointed that you had them on. If they align with your views, they love that you had that guy on, those guys you just mentioned. But if it's someone that doesn't align with your views, how could you have this person on? I didn't know that you you had a problem that it didn't align with your views. Sorry about that. I should have checked with you. Next time I will. Right. I'll check before I do the podcast. So you okay with just – I'll send a mass email out. (laughs) I wonder, is that that part of the reason you did move the the podcast to – Barstool, what I mean by that, like, do you feel comfortable with the, because I know they're known for being very open, you know, there's no, I know you hate the word, but no quote unquote cancel culture there. You don't have to worry about that. Like, is that, did you feel comfortable going there knowing the culture was not as it is maybe in some other places on some other platforms? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I, you know, I was, I was going to, you know, the platform I was on was fine too, but it just like, they, you know, gave me a great offer and they were like, look, we're not going to send, you know, we're Boston. We're not going to fuck with you. You do whatever, whatever you want to put out there, you put out there. We're never going to tell you about, about, you know, what you should and shouldn't do. And I'm like, that's perfect. Yeah. You know, so I feel right at home with them and they're great. Yeah. They, just leave, they let you do what you want, which is awesome. And I think it's exposed you to a younger audience too. Like I've always said to my, like I have two younger brothers and I was always like, Oh, you got to check these guys out. My one brother came to one of your shows, loved it. Whatever, my other brother, whatever, for whatever reason, but he's a big Barstool guy. Now you're on Barstool, and I get a text message like every week, oh, did you hear what Florentine said this week, whatever. So I think you've exposed yourself to that younger, because it, it does skew younger, 20, 28. That's probably their wheelhouse, you know what I mean? And um, I don't know if you've noticed that in your numbers or not, or in your emails or the kind of responses you got, but I've noticed that in my life, that the younger people in my life are finally catching on. Definitely. Yeah, I've definitely noticed uh, younger people. And that was great for me because it wasn't, you know, people know me from Crank Anchors. I was on in like, you know, 2004 and they know me from that metal show. And if you don't follow heavy metal, you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Right. You know, so no, it's been, it's been great. Yeah. And I got a young, you know, a lot younger, you know, people are listening to the show, which is awesome. You know, look, I'm always surprised when a younger person likes my views, like just hates everything that's on social media, because that's pretty much every young person's life is that phone. So I'm always fascinated when people are, yeah, I fucking hate this shit too. When they're young, I, I could get it when they're middle-aged and they've had enough of it and they got other shit going on in their life. They don't have to worry about Facebook or whatever. But uh, I love it when young people are like, yeah, I, I, I already have the disdain for social media. The rage and uh, the anger and the, the ability to listen to your rants about things. I mean, it's what I've always loved about the podcast. And um, my brother, I have a brother that um, thought it was cool on Fridays to post Fry-yay memes, like fry, and then instead of day, yay, like yay. And I started busting his balls relentlessly about this, which I thought was appropriate, you know, and because I just thought it was the most humiliating thing that ever happened to our family. And, um, you know, he gets mad at me, like, Oh, you're no fun or this or that. It's like, so I wanted to ask you, like, how do you deal in your personal life with, you know, trying to maintain a level of sanity? Like, I was just trying to like say to my brother, like, like, what are you doing? Like, wake up. Like, this is the worst thing you've ever done. What's wrong with you? And he's like, oh, you're negative or you're a party people. Like, how do you balance that? Like, how do you maintain the rage but not have like everyone in your family pissed off at you because they think it's fun or cute or something? Oh, wait, first of all, how old is your brother that's posted that? You're not going to believe it. You ready for this? He was born no. in 1986. So is that like 33? 
Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're you're no, you're no fun. You're ruining right. The party. I'm the bad you're guy. A party pooper. Right. You know, you know, no, you know when you're ruining the fun or you're a party pooper. If everyone's you know having a house party and it's eleven o'clock and you go, right, everyone out and everyone's having a good time, that's when you ruin the party. Not your fucking Friday. Yeah, that's like for, that's like some girl in the office is gonna put it's Friday. I'm gonna go happy hour with my girlfriends. That's who would post something like that. Not a thirty-three-year-old man. With the yeah, family. but you're not ruined. There's nobody's having fun reading that. There's no fun involved. Like Friday, posting Friday because it's Friday. You know, it, it, no one's having fun reading that. No one's waiting. Go. When's he gonna post it? I. It's Friday at three o'clock. <laughs> I haven't heard it. He hasn't posted it yet. He like, tried. But that's what social media does to you. You get a little juice. You get a few people like, oh, I love it. Oh, this is a great one. I look forward to this every Friday. You get three people saying that, and now you're playing to three people. Right, and one of them's like the cute girl in the office or something. So you know he's finally got that attention. Right. Yeah, and that really and th- I, I throws it off. Say, like it's just somebody scrolling on their phone and they see your brother's thing, Friday, and they go, oh, "I like it. I like the guy. He's my right. friend." They don't really give a shit. They don't really like it, but they just did it. So all right, I'm fucking scrolling through. I'll just hit the like button. It takes not even a half a second. Yeah, like, I think I should be respected in the family for like calling out like. This behavior, like, I feel like he's disgraced us all. And they're, you know, trying to say that I was somehow a bad guy. I'm just glad that I, I'm glad you cleared that up because Friday, it's hideous. Oh, yeah. He tried oh, to yeah. defend it and most say that my he, family's not, he likes me. My family doesn't do that shit on social media. So I, I don't have to, I don't have to berate them. But if they did, I would. But I, none of them do it. Half of them aren't even on it. They don't even give a shit. They yeah. got their own lives. Brutal. Brutal. Well, I know we're both pretty lukewarm about football but we got i want to spend at least a couple of minutes with you on the nfl before i let you go um there's look, not gonna... I'm, look once, once opening day comes i'm sure i'll be you know a little more excited about it you know uh, right you know sam's the bullshit i gotta fucking you know watch you know the one time when you want to get it's just like a comic like when a comic goes on stage the last thing i want to do is talk politics because people don't want to fucking hear you. you can hear the groan in the audience when people do would do that they're like, oh, come on, man. I'm at a friggin' comedy club. Can you give me a break from that? No matter what side you were on, you were pounded. So it's like, you know, I'm going to have to sit through this shit. The ratings are going to go way down. And Goodell's going to be in another fuck. You know, if they were all just to get together and say, listen, man, this isn't, people don't want to see this. The ratings are going to go down again, which is going to affect the salary cap, which is going to affect the advertisers. So the advertisers are going to want some money back from the NFL. And that's part of the whole pot that everyone gets from if they don't hit a certain rating. So they 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 didn't learn their lesson when they did it before. Yeah, I mean, I know there's but, that. It's unbelievable that they're going back to it after everything that went. But I feel like they felt bullied into it. You know that they had no choice. That the mob had just bullied them into submission. I guess you know. And Fidel could just say, "Listen, we're not showing. We're not showing a national anthem. Just like maybe they won't show it. Maybe the networks won't show it. You know." And just don't show it on TV. Like they didn't show it for the last two years. That's why you never saw any of that. Right. Anymore. Remember, they, the networks were loving it. You know, Roger Goodell went to the networks and goes, look, it's, you're hurting yourself by doing this because it's affecting the rating. That means you're not getting, you know, that, that you're not getting the business and, and the, your, your money's worth. So stop showing. And then they stopped. So hopefully he'll just say, look, just don't show it. Maybe you'll learn from the NBA, you know, because oh, look. You know, and then let them talk about it in the press conference, like LeBron, you know, whatever. Who gives a fuck? Right. But uh, I don't know. I'm still going to, well, of course, I'm going to watch. I'm addicted to the NFL. I can't help it. Same. So, 
I got no choice. My kid's into it, so, you know, we're going to watch. We always get together on Sundays and watch. So, look, when, when opening day comes around like that Thursday night, there's the Chiefs and Texans, I think. I'm, of course I'm going to be watching. And, you know, it's going to be weird watching with hardly anybody in the stadium. Some, you know, I know the Chiefs are allowed to have some fans in the stadium, which will be good. But um, it's not going to be the same this year, no matter what. It's going to feel like a, a, a preseason year, basically. Yeah, I think you're right that the cure to all this, these distractions and, and how they have both of us making us feel, it's just the ball being kicked off, right, and the game being played, and, and that that should help. And I wanted to ask you about, obviously we talked a little bit about the stars aligning and Tua becoming a Dolphin, and I known that you were hoping he would get there. Let me ask you this. We've seen it done different ways, right? Peyton Manning played his rookie year through a ton of interceptions, but you know we saw the greatness that was there. Patrick Mahomes, on the other hand, basically sat the first year, played one game at the end, then they gave him the reins. What would be your vision? What are you hoping for Tua? Like, let's be honest, the Dolphins season, no matter how good or bad it is this year, really is about the development of Tua, right? That's their future. Uh, Keith Van Noy, that like that's a great addition, great, that's nice. And, you know, Jordan Howard, sure, whatever. It All that matters, really, if you agree or disagree, you can say. But really all that matters to me is Tua and how he develops. How do you think they should play it? What are you hoping for? You know, I want to see him week one. But, I, you know, he's he was still a junior coming out. So he didn't even play four years. He's coming off the bad hippie. Supposedly looks great in practice. And people, they're loving him right now. You know, he's freaking really shining in, uh, in the practices and stuff. I would like to see him week one, but you know, it's not realistic. So I'm thinking like week five or six, put him in. I'll be happy with that. Let him learn on the Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick's a fucking, you know, he's like a quarterback coach too. He's not a, he had a great year last year with Miami. He's always, you know, floundered. He's been, you know, he had two games, two great games in Buffalo and they gave him 60 million guaranteed, right. yep. you know, and then he, and then he tanked for the next three years, you know, <laughs> he's made, but, um, you know, so I'd say like week six, put him in. Let him learn on the friggin' Fitzpatrick, Josh Rosen, whoever, you know, and then about week six, put him in. And it's a trial year anyway, so it's almost like a bust this year anyway. So Miami, the best they'll do is eight and eight. They got a really tough schedule. Let them build the team. They got a bunch of rookies, four to five offensive linemen are rookies that are going to start this year. So let them gel and put two in around week six, and I'll be happy if he plays pretty good. And next year is a really year where they got to – you know, really step it up and make the playoffs. Yeah, and they added Brita, who I think is like a really nice speed back. I really like to watch him play. Hopefully he can stay healthy. He's really good as he, if he can. Uh, but it seems like they just had a really good offseason. You know, like I, I mentioned adding Kyle Van Noy, which is nice because you subtract him from Patriots too, you know, which is good. And it's another year under the coach. And, I mean, the, the Dolphins had the ultimate thing. They fired their crappy coach and someone in the division hired him, right? Like Gase has been a disaster. For the, for the Jets just as much. So that's always nice for a Dolphin fan. Is there anything else you're like really interested in in terms of the Dolphins this season? Or is it to you mostly just all about Tua and his development? Is that Obviously, that's number one. What's like two and three? Like what else is on your radar for the Dolphins this year? Well, you know, look, you know, Flores did a great job last year with guys that were signing off the street. Yeah. I'm, I'm going I'm going to games or watching. I'm like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? It was just basically a guy that was, you know, on Tuesday was working in a supermarket and he's playing safety and he's picking a pass off. And, you know, they, they, Miami's defense looked pretty good. They got blown out, obviously, some games, but they were playing man-to-man. They were right on the ball. I've never seen that. They usually play like 15 yards off the fucking – off the receiver. So, you know, it was just – I was impressed with what he had. He was basically working with nothing and they still won five games. So, 
Now they've, they've got a lot of, you know, a lot of draft picks and they've got a lot of free agent signs. So let's see them gel this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about watching the team and see where they can go from this year. And of course, you know, Tua coming in. So, um, yeah, like I said, this is a bust year anyway. And the bottom line is, you know, even though you're a Bills fan and whenever you get your hype up for, for your team, whether it be the Dolphins or the Bills or the Jets, they always falter somehow. Sure. New England's going to win the division again. Right. I don't, I don't care who they sweep in with is. Newton at the last minute, right? And uh, of course, yeah, Newton's going to look like he's going to be amazing. Right. I was going to say the interesting thing about this season is that we can't forget they added a playoff spot, right? So a team might get in at eight and eight. You know that might get you a week or two in the playoffs. Um, there's definitely going to be there was an eight and eight. There were eight and eight teams, seven and nine teams that made it under the old format. If you add another team, that could happen. You know, home field advantage. If that was a thing, isn't going to be what it was in past. So we already said there's going to be less fans. So it's one of those years and one of those things where it's not crazy to think someone like the Dolphins or someone like the Jets or whatever team you want to name like could have a, a breakout season and maybe breakout only means you know eight and eight or nine and seven, but that could be enough to get you in the playoffs and you know anything can happen in the tournament. But I think if you're a Dolphins fan, you're like, wow, eight and eight. That'd be great, and wow, could we we could get to a playoff game and get that experience if that were to happen? That'd be even like a even a bonus on top of that, you know? Yeah, no, that would be it. Would you know if they could somehow go eight and eight or nine and seven and just at least get one round of the playoffs, even if they don't win, that would be an amazing season for them. So, you know, you never know. Look, New England's got six guys that opted out of the season for the coronavirus, right? A lot of defense still, too. And still win the division. <laughs> they'll still win. <laughs> Yeah, you know they will. You know Belichick's gonna, you know, whoever's cut right before the season, Belichick's gonna sign him, some veteran. The guy's gonna come in. He's gonna play amazing. Right? Maybe they're getting the Earl Thomas. Maybe they'll get in the Earl Thomas sweepstakes now that he's available for punching a guy or whatever happened in Baltimore. Yeah, Earl Earl Thomas will sign a one-year, two-million-dollar deal because he's gonna get his money from the Ravens, and he couldn't wait to play for Belichick. So you know that it's it's the Patriots, no matter what, and and the Bucks are gonna be way overrated. I don't care who you sign and how many freaking weapons Brady has to throw to, you know, whatever these teams, you know, you get Gronkowski who sat out a year and stuff like that. They're, you know, they'll be eight and eight, nine and seven. Brady's not going to do wonders down in Tampa. Sure. I think that the Buccaneers are extremely overrated going into the season. You know, yeah. people are buying into the Gronk and, and Brady hype. You know, I just don't see that team as a, I'd be surprised if they make the playoffs. They're not winning the Super Bowl. You know, people have outrageous expectations for them, and I just, you know, I don't see it. Bruce Arians is a good guy and a good coach and whatever, but that's a, you know, they're not better than the Saints. They're not better than the Saints. When you got all those weapons to throw to, the divas, the divas that aren't going to get the ball are going to start fucking complaining. Sure. Right, because now you got so you don't want you don't want six guys, great guys you could throw to because they're all they're all especially the receivers they're always divas. Right, so it's just going to cause problems. And Brady's like, hey man, Brady comes from New England. He's like, I don't give a shit, but that's not my that might not work in Tampa. You know, he might not be able to yell in their face like he did in New England. Right, and 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 Bruce Arians is nice and everything, but he's not Belichick, you know, and that is no. not exactly an organization that is, you know, pumping out like. One of the great things about New England is the 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 or, they're organiz, organizationally built to succeed. I don't know that that's the case in Tampa. You know they haven't proven that in any way. You know they have uh, yeah. been down for a long time. So 
you know, I, I still think the Saints are the best team in that division by by a mile, and I think Atlanta's second best. Um, Carolina's probably yeah. the worst, maybe the worst team in the league, but as a Saints fan, I'm more concerned with Atlanta and how they rebound. They've added Todd Gurley. You know, I still think Matt Ryan is a really good player. Julio Jones is the best wide receiver in the world, you know, and Ridley is now in his third year. That's usually when wide receivers break out. So Atlanta scares me more than Tampa does as, you know, a follower of the NFC South. Yeah. No, they're, they, they are in a tough division. So, yeah. um, you know, we'll have to say. All right. Jim Florentine is always nice to do this with me, and I appreciate that. He's Mr. Jim Florentine on Twitter, and I mention that only because you can obviously find information about his podcast, which is now on Barstool. And, Jim, the podcast and stuff has its own social media accounts as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody. And I was supposed to be up in Buffalo at the casino at Niagara Falls with the Creaser Kids Tour in October, but they're not doing any shows until at least November. Yeah, I know. That's why I reached out to you originally. I was like, it could time out perfectly yeah. to talk about return of football and those shows, but then I seen that they weren't happening. But hopefully they will, you know, as soon as they do happen – Um Maybe I can like get a pair of tickets we can give away or some some hype it up somehow. Um, at Absolutely. least, yeah, at yeah, least, we'll do it. yeah, because we're gonna we're supposed to do a Friday and Saturday at the comedy den at the casino there. Yeah, just to help promote it. So hopefully, as soon as uh, I was, I'm a little disappointed. I thought the Indian Conceitos would be a little bit more aggressive with you know their ability to kind of break rank from the state and kind of do what they want. Um, it doesn't seem like they've decided to flex those muscles that much yet, but. We'll see how you that know, Vegas was originally Vegas was originally going to do that. And they opened up and then they realized because I, I had some shows in Vegas got canceled, too. And they said basically to the end of the year and they're not doing, you know, most live entertainment inside either. So I think everyone looked at Vegas. You right. Know, like the seniors go, OK, if Vegas ain't going to do it, then we're not. Sure. Uh, but every uh, everyone is awful is two times a week now, which is one of the great things about it. Moving to Barstool is we got an extra show. Uh, Everybody is Awful is the name of the podcast. The latest one is Yelp Reviews. And, of course, there's uh, the awful Facebook uh, post ones. And the um, Good Side of Bad News is something you've been doing lately, which I really enjoy. Uh, Wednesdays and Sundays, I think, is when they come out. And uh, you guys are doing another season of the new Crank Yankers, right? Is that Did I hear that? Yeah, yeah, we're doing another season. I don't know when, you know, when when we could start filming again. But at some point, we're doing another season which is good because pretty much everything else on comedy central was canceled so we're not for some reason <laughs> well maybe the power and influence of uh kimmel and um corolla maybe yeah kept, maybe kept that around uh listen jim thank you so much for doing this oh i wanted to ask you i saw another thing from this summer i loved was you and uh eddie and don did a uh like an impromptu my uh that uh, that metal show reunion like at eddie's jersey shore house um, just kind of Eddie's son held up the camera and it was really cool, really fun. Have you guys thought about Netflix at all as a way to maybe bring the show back? Well, you know, Barstool is hoping to do it at some point, so we'll see. Oh, okay. Cause I thought maybe if you reached out to Netflix or Hulu, maybe, I don't know if you guys have thought of that. Yeah, we thought of it. <laughs> yeah, we thought of it. Jim is on the other line right now saying, like, is he kidding? Is he fucking around? Or do I no, have to I know. That's, that's a joke about it. But, you know, I always say, like, you know, people go up to actors, you know, like when the Galapini was still around, you know, hey, hey, James, man, what about Sopranos on, on Showtime or Netflix? Yeah, like what an you know? idea, you know, like, like, wow. But is that a, is that a true thing that Barstool is maybe considering reviving it? Yeah, 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. That'd be amazing. So hope I know. So we're hoping, but you know, I think at some point I'll be back on the air somewhere. If it's not, you know, right. But that's where we're hoping it's going to land. But yeah, at some point we'll be back at some streaming service or whatever. So, um, you know, we'll see. Look, the coronavirus fucked everything up for everybody. So, sure. you know, nobody's filming anything right now and shit like that. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll you know, we're, we're just, we're going to wait and see on it and see what happens. Yeah, it's been brutal. No summer concerts, you know. I can't stand these. Oh, I know. I, I, I had 13 shows I was going to from like March till September that I had down that I was going to. I had, I had to bite the bullet and do the, you know, I have a four-year-old daughter. We did the Disney trip, you know. And we got home. Yeah. Like it was the last week of February we went. We got home like March fifth or sixth or something. I turned to my wife and said, All right, it's Pearl Jam time. I had three Pearl Jam shows in the next fourteen days when they canceled it. So ugh. and it was gonna be a great summer. Rage and Tool and the Motley Crew, Def Leppard thing, and brutal. But um hopefully by next year you're back and hopefully the comedy shows come back and Listen, I just appreciate anything. Anything else you wanted to plug or mention before I let you go? No, that's about it. Yeah, just, uh, you know, the podcast every, you know, technically Monday and Thursday on Barstool Sports. Everybody is awful. Okay, yeah, but if you look on Sunday nights or probably Wednesday nights, they do drop like, or drop. I can't believe I said that. They are usually released. Um, yeah, they come out early. Like at midnight or whatever. Early. Yeah. You're really looking forward to it. Right. I think this week, next week is going to be uh, – Dumb Facebook games people come up with. You know, they all want to play games on oh, Facebook. The worst. Nothing is worse than the game coupled with them telling you go. Like, why do people need to tell me oh, to I know. go? They all do. Oh. Hey, let's forget coronavirus and politics for a second. Okay. What if I just lost my grandmother yesterday from coronavirus? Can I still can I forget about it to play? You know, one of them I was talking about actually, at least next week, so I just recorded is about uh one of those dumb music ones. Uh, what if Jeremy didn't speak up today? And then, you know, well, what if Michael Jackson didn't beat it? You know, and then everybody <laughs> fucking does their thing. I go, well, Jeremy did speak up. Right. He did. And Eddie Vedder wrote the lyric. He did speak up in class. So I don't know where you're going with this. Yeah, his brains were all over his classmates, you know, shirts in the in, in real life that happened in Texas, right? It's just so fucking, yeah. So anyway, the, the Facebook games is, will be coming up next week. The, you know, yeah, ready, go, don't cheat, don't Google, you Ugh. know, fucking or, assholes. Send me your fifth picture on your phone. It don't, on your camera roll, yeah. don't cheat. It's like, well, what if Ugh. the fifth picture is like my wife spread eagle and she finally like let me take a picture of it? Yeah, what if it was a dick pic right. I sent out? So Should I just shit. post okay, that? So I'm going to put that. That's what I was doing. Take a picture of what you're doing right now. I'm jerking off. So that, that's <laughs> what I was doing. You wanted it. You said don't cheat, so I'm not going to cheat. <laughs> Jim, thanks for uh, – let's let's go out on that. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, yeah, Dad. Let's go out and uh, tell your brother to stop posting fry yet. Tell him <laughs> to fucking grow up. Could have used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high I want to thank Jim Florentine for being on the podcast today 
Man, that guy's fucking funny. <laughs> oh, man, I sent a, a brief clip of the uh, end of that interview to my brothers, and my brother Greg was a really good sport about it. I was laughing his ass off at Jim telling him to grow up. All right, book club update real quick. Uh, Corbin Reef, total fucking godhead. Uh, his book about Chris Cornell was the last piece of business on the book club's agenda for the summer. We read a bunch of books this summer, and during uh, the COVID period, you know, when this started in March, I think the first book we read was the John Feinstein Road to March book, and we read a bunch since then, and now this is the last piece of business to kind of close all that off and get ready for the books in the fall. Uh, so in a second, we'll talk to Corbin Reef and kind of that'll be it for that. Now, speaking of the fall, uh, I was lucky enough through my relationship uh, with Jeff Perlman uh, to get a copy of his new book. Uh, and I'm really excited about it, which I'll admit I, I, I was really disappointed uh, when I heard it, what it was about because I'm not a basketball guy by any means. I'm certainly not an NBA guy. Uh, so I was not really uh, thrilled when I heard the topic, and that's just me being honest. But I'll read any uh, Jeff Perlman book, um, and uh, I will always promote his work. You know, uh, he's a really good friend to this program. He's a really good guy. He works tirelessly on these books, and he works just as hard promoting them. The book is called Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lake. Lakers Dynasty. It comes out on September 29th. Uh, like I said, I'm lucky to have a copy. I'm going to read it. I've read a little bit so far. Uh, we'll be promoting it. Uh, we'll have Jeff on. I'm sure we'll do a contest. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this. Uh, and you can pre-order it now. So uh, do that if you can. Uh, I know I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the next guest. And that's Corbin Reef and his awesome book about Chris Cornell. So why don't we take a break and get to that. next guest today he's a billboard writer rolling stone up rocks he's in seattle washington and is the author of an awesome new book that's out now about the great chris cornell it's called total fucking godhead he's making his debut today let's make him feel welcome for the first time on the sportscasters corbin reef hey corbin how you doing today i'm doing great fantastic to be here i'm stoked to uh, talk, talk to you how are you surviving a summer without summer concerts. Like, I feel like for me, and I'm sure you can relate to this, when you think about summer, you think about summer concerts. Like, when I think about the summer of 98, I think about seeing, you know, Pearl Jam at Molson Park and Barry. Or, you know, when I think about uh, two years ago to yesterday, actually, I seen Pearl Jam at Wrigley Field. You know, and my, my whole summer was built around that trip. You know, summers have always been built around concerts. What am I going to do this summer? Well, 
where the, what bands are playing the free shows down the city court you know what shows are doing the shed tours you know who's playing arenas <laughs> like to me summer is about concerts how have you survived um this summer without concerts well, first I'll say that I was also at that uh, Pearl Jam show at Wrigley two years ago. Amazing. Uh, yesterday. One of my favorites. Amazing. Like, like almost three hours. Yeah, I've been little, to 80. You know, three hours or so. I've been to 83 Pearl Jam shows. It's in my top Woo! top four. Okay, you got me sure. beat. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's that's since 1996. That that's over a long period of time. Uh, it's not quite, yeah, no, you know. Yeah, for sure. Right, you know. But um, that's a ve- um, it's very high up there for me. Yeah, no, I mean, how am I doing? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm hanging in there. You know, I, I'm kind of fixing my gaze and saying they're not gone forever. They're coming back. But, you know, every time I get a, a you know, like over the last couple months or whatever, getting a ping on my uh, my calendar saying, oh, you're supposed to see Rage Against the Machine today. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. That, that kind of hurts. That kinda, I'm not going to lie. That hurts a little bit. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get back out there someday soon, I'm hoping. Um, in the meantime, I'll well, continue to watch grainy old pieces of footage that I took on my phone five years ago <laughs> yeah two things one is it was going to be a good summer too right like you mentioned oh, the rage yeah. you know you mentioned the rage tour you know pearl jam was going to do a tour for their new album you know um there's the stadium tour if you're into the you know 80s rock you know there was that um billy joel was finally coming to buffalo like there, there was a lot you know like i almost the tool new album was out yeah yeah tool had a tour that was coming it just felt loaded and um, and it went to nothing. But the other thing I wanted to ask you was, can you get into these streaming ones that they're doing? You know, um, and and there's kind of two versions of that, right? There's the singer pops up and plays the acoustic guitar on Facebook Live, and that I'm kind of burnt on. But like what Metallica did on Stern this week, like that I can get into. If we can get more of that, I, Dirty Honey did this too. They played like, I don't know if you heard Dirty Honey. They're kind of a cool newer band I like. They did like, a, you know, just a show to no one that they broadcast. I can get into those. I'm burned out on the solo acoustic Facebook Lives. What about you with the way artists are trying to fill the gap with these streaming type shows? Yeah, it's just like anything, really. You know, if, if people come with an interesting concept that's kind of different, you know, it's, it's always going to be engaging. Like, good example, Sturgill Simpson, uh, the country kind of, oh, I'm not going to call him country, country rock sort of sure. artist uh, that I really like a lot. You know, he played a show with his bluegrass band at, you know, the Ryman, um, but there was no audience there. And that was really cool just to kind of see that aspect of it. Jeff Rosenstock, kind of an underground punk guy. He's been doing some great stuff online. It, it really just depends on the artist and the way they approach the situation, but, but yeah, you know, I'm, I, it, March was great a great time for the uh, the, uh, the solo yep. acoustic stuff. But yeah, as long as people keep being creative, you know, I'll, I'll tune in. Yeah, the the solo acoustics, the first wave of them were great, you know, but now I'm kind of washed on them, and like you said, I'm more enjoying, you know, I like Pearl Jam. Like you have a beautiful warehouse in Seattle. Like do a show from there, you know. I know they're going to. Now this is almost seems like the next thing that's um, becoming popular is like broadcasting shows that they that they own that maybe they're saving for a DVD or whatever you know like I know Pro- yeah yeah that's an avenue that like Jason Isbell right now I think is putting out a new live album from you know just uh, his tours every every Friday and Sonic Youth has been really great about releasing some archival stuff on Bandcamp and you know, Father John Misty released a live album you know it, it's yeah. been nice to see some people kind of 
put some some stuff of the archives uh, out there just to kind of give people a like me who are, who are Jones and a little bit of a feel for the live live music for uh, again. Right, and then I, I think we know there's going to be a wave of new music, right? I think that's another oh, yeah. thing. You know, I've heard I listen to Eddie Trunk show on Sirius a lot, and it seems like every time he has an artist on, they say, "Well, we've been haven't been able to tour, but we've made some songs." You know, like who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. this will even like get Guns N' Roses to make an album. Um, <laughs> well, let's not get crazy, right? right? Well, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's to, your, to your point though. You know, actually, it's been. Uh, it's it's messed up, but you know, 2020 has been what it is. But it's been an incredible year for new new music. There's been a lot of great albums that have dropped this year, and I and I hope that, that trend continues because uh, you know anything we can do to kind of get through the day has been has been helpful. I don't know if you're into like the power pop, you know, um, 80s type rock, but there's a band called Tokyo Motor First that put out an album called Lions, and I don't know how I caught it, but it's like such a great album and. And maybe this is something you can speak to, like, in the industry in general. Like, I was listening to it the other night and kind of admiring it. And, like, the musicianship is great on it. Songwriting is great. Like, the album art is cool. There's no way they can find an audience for this. You know, like, I just, I, I, I really feel for people making new music who aren't, you know, Pearl Jam or, you know. Totally. We, we can name them. But... Like it's it's so hard to find. Like even Candlebox, who's a band I like from Seattle. I remember when I was listening to their last album, I was driving around thinking like, "This is really great," but they have no chance to find an audience for this. You know, you you, you can't. Well, especially yeah, especially now with no places to play, no, right? No, you can't organize a fan base. Like I always loved doing that when I was kind of doing more regular news music writing and beat and kind of on the beat a little little more than I am currently. You know, there's a Toronto band called Dilly Dally that I did a really long feature on. Not a lot of people know them, but they, they're awesome. <laughs> they're really sure. great. And it's always, as a writer, as a music writer, especially when you find something obscure that maybe a lot of people don't know and can expose that, that music to a, like a wide-ranging audience, that's one of the most awesome parts about the entire job. Yeah, like Dirty Honey is a band that no no record label, you know, and they built it up on the road, opening for every rock band you can think of just about. You know, I think it was Foo Fighters who really were the ones to say, like, this is one of the best openers we've ever had. I think it was Foo Fighters. Um, it was a top <laughs> that's band. That's another band that was supposed to tour this year. Right, yeah, and that was that's out, of course, for now. Um, <laughs> but you can't you can't even do that, right? Like, you can't even get the... It's like, okay, we got the opening gig on Stadium Tour, and sure, we're only going to get 4,000 people in their seats by then, but, hey, if we can sell 2,000 of them, right? You can't even do that, you know? So yeah, it's I, tough. It breaks my heart for these bands, and I don't know how they're going to find an audience, um, but hopefully they do. Speaking of broken hearts, um, I woke up at 4 in the morning. And I grabbed my phone and brought it with me to the bathroom because I wanted to see the Soundgarden set list. Uh, I wanted to see what they played in Detroit. And obviously, you know where I'm going. Uh, I found out on the toilet um, at four in the morning uh, that Chris Cornell had uh, passed away that night. And I sat there till almost 4.30 in the morning. Um. I guess maybe trying to accept it as a reality and not, am I sleepwalking? You know, am I reading this right? Um, 
it's hard to process something on the toilet at four in the morning, you know, let alone yeah. the death of an icon like Chris Cornell. Um, and right, you know, you write in, in, in the book, which you're here to promote. And, and I want to, you know, it was nice to talk about that other stuff, but it's time to get, get to this. Um, you, you write right away about finding out and, um, kind of writing that next day, like almost in a daze, uh, and, and how that sort of led then to, to this book. But want talk a little bit about finding out, um, and I guess I'm interested too, how did this hit you compared to, you know, I don't know, Kurt Cobain in 94 or Scott Weiland a few years ago or Prince or Tom Patty or whatever, you know, like, did, w- were you feeling something yeah, again? Know, were you feeling something different? Like, tell me a little bit about I, it how it hit you. Yeah, it was definitely Chris's death hit me unlike any you know, prominent figures passing that I can honestly ever remember. Um, you know, Prince and Tom Petty were definitely, uh, shocking, uh, Petty in particular. I just seen him again at Wrigley field like a few months beforehand, but, um, you know, it, it, Soundgarden was still a going concern. He just reunited with audio slaves, uh, at the, you know, anti inaugural ball, you know, he'd done the temple of the dog tour recently. You know, I'd seen him a couple times in the, the past few years and, he still sounded incredible, looked you know incredible, like you know was making music and put out that Higher Truth album, and you know it just was so his music meant so much to me in my life that you know when when I got that news that morning, I just I, I was like you, I was just shocked, I couldn't believe it. Um, and then having to work through that and you know paying tributes to him throughout the day, and then just trying to wrap my head around it, it was just it was it was unlike anything I'd ever felt before for for someone who'd uh, who had passed like that, and. Um, you know, it just really left a, a mark on me that I, I could, I just tried as I might, I couldn't shake. I kept coming back to him and, and feeling like, you know, maybe he was under respected in his life. You know, there, there was no books written about Chris Cornell um, before this one. I just wrote total fucking Godhead. And that kind of pissed me off. You know, his, his right. Soundgarden is an incredible band. Audio slave was a great band. Uh, you know, the temple of the dog album is a great album. You know, and he was a pivotal figure in so much of that early Seattle music history. And it just felt, it just wasn't right to me that, you know, um, his legacy hadn't been as cherished or preserved as, uh, you know, Nirvana or Pearl Jam or, or the grunge music, you know, grunge movement uh, in general. Yeah. And, you know, I think about I always think about like the big four, you know, and with Cobain in 94, you felt it coming. Right. You knew it was coming. Maybe not exactly that, but I mean, well, the Rome incident happened right, the, a few months before. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't shocked. I guess you know, and obviously with Lane Staley, there was zero shock. You know, and you know, the, and then I, I, I just think with Cornell, I remember one thing I thought about instantly was I remembered him talking about Andy Wood in Pearl Jam twenty, and I just kind of remembered him and uh, Jeff Amon as well. Um, and how that in that in the in the section of that movie where Cameron Crowe dealt with that, and how and I was just playing their words over in my head. Uh, I think Jeff Amon said, you know, I wanted to take a picture of him and show it to everyone, and and, and Cornell kind of talking about, you know, the fragility of life and, and all this, and I it's just like I couldn't believe that that guy had gotten to that point, and it made me so sad for him. You know what I mean in a way, and um, sure, and. I'll be honest. I know you had said in the book that you listened to his music all that day. I didn't listen for seven, eight months. I don't think 
Um, I, wow, I, yeah. I stayed away for a while, and then I was in the car one day, and Fell on Black Days came on, and I was just tapping without even thinking about it, you know, enjoying Fell on Black Days. And um, I remember after I turned to my wife and said, I think that might be the first Chris Cornell song I've listened to in, you know, seven months. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, it was so hard to to uh, adjust this one. Um, and, you know, I growing up as a rock music fan, you know, it was always my dad's music until – Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Allison Chains. You know that 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 sure, right? when that scene broke, that was when I was able to claim these bands. You know what I mean? That these were mine, and I oh, love totally. love Rush and love Led Zeppelin and Bad Company and all the great bands my dad taught me. But I remember just kind of like an excitement and a freedom of like trying to teach him about these bands and like, look at I got these groups <laughs> too. You know, and to lose yeah. Soundgarden was it's- particularly hard. It, it, it's so weird because that entire generation is, is I mean, Allison Chain still tours with William Duvall, um, you know, and, and, you know, Dave Grohl is still doing his thing and Pearl Jam's still doing their thing. But, you know, so much of that, that history is just gone. And it's for, you know, people of the Gen X generation, you know, I mean, even throwing Prince on top of that, you know, Michael Jackson obviously had his drawbacks in there. They were right. significant. Still but, you know, pilots. There was, yeah, there's just a lot from that particular era that's just, I mean, even the Rolling Stones are still touring today, but there are sure. so many different bands that Blind Melon, you know, is a, Jeff Buckley from that era that just aren't here anymore, and it's left this massive cultural void for for so many people. Well, it's a cultural void because of how great they were. Let's get into Cornell's career a little bit with you, please. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Let's do some of the fun stuff. So, again, I remember uh, hearing about how he was living with Andy Wood and they were going toe to toe every day, kind of writing a song a day, you know, a song a day, two mm-hmm. songs a day, playing for for each other, battling out, you know, and um, the Mother Love Boat album merged from there and, and sort of the early Soundgarden emerged from there. Do you remember kind of your first Chris Cornell music, what you liked the most early? Um, what about the earlier Soundgarden stuff? Did you not... Was it not until Bad Motor Finger or Super Unknown that you got into it? Um, or were you early, you know, Ultra Mega or maybe yeah. uh, Love? You know, like, where did you get in and and um, and and really start to enjoy the work? I'm sure my situation is not unlike a lot of people that, you know, my introdu- introduction to, uh, to Soundgarden Christmas music was the uh, Black Hole Sun video. Okay. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're a young, younger person, you know, it, you know, seeing those wide smiles and the way, you know, Chris is kind of, just psychedelically crewing the words with that giant fan is like blowing wind on it and it feels like the apocalypse. Like that's going to leave a pretty uh, significant, you know, <laughs> uh, that, that image is going to sear on your brain, you know? And um, I kind of worked backwards and forwards from there. You know, I was in high school when the uh, first audio slave album dropped and, and that was, you know, I, I know it was maligned a lot uh, in the media at the time, but you know, 3 million copies sold and it was a big, big deal amongst people that, you know, I ran circles with, yeah. um, you know, like the stone, I am the highway. But, you know, my, my favorite Chris Cornell album personally is bad motor finger. Um, I, sure. you know, those first four songs, Jesus Christ pose outshine slaves and bulldozers, rusty, cage. Uh, you know, rusty cage. Yeah. Uh, it just, you can't beat that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just can't. It's, it's almost hard to imagine a different band or different album that could really compare to the visceral loudness and aggression of that, that, that particular record. Um, so yeah, I think I think my experience was very different than many people. Just you know, 
you see a music video one day and you're like, Oh man, what is that? And then you just work backwards and forwards and, and then they, 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 they soundtrack the moments of your life. You know, they're, you know, seasons is there when you're driving down the highway one night and it's just, you know, you're thinking about things and that song comes on, that song comes on and all of a sudden, you know, everything you thought becomes so much more poignant and it becomes clear and it just, it sticks with you. It becomes part of your DNA. Yeah, I'm a lot like you. I, I know I had seen the Outshine video on Headbangers Ball. Um, so I know I had known it, but then when Super Unknown came out and that Black Hole Sun video was so big on MTV that summer, and then I remember getting a Rolling Stone from the library that they were on the cover. And I remember the interviewer asked him about the lyric from Black Hole Sun um, where he said, um, times are gone for honest men. And uh, asked him about that line, and that is where I was like, "Wow! Like, okay, the lyrics are really good here, huh? Like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get those liner notes out, you know." And like, that's where I really took a step into a different level with Soundgarden was right at that period. Um, and it's I was so interesting that you bring that up because, you know, I think a lot of people's perceptions of Chris, you know, what they first think about is his voice. I mean, naturally, you think about that voice, you know, right. four octaves that can yep. do pretty much anything. But, you know, a lot of people look back, you know, kind of look past what he was saying. I think he was an incredible songwriter, an incredible lyricist, and the messages that he imbued in his music of, they were personal or macro, you know, times are gone for honest men. It's kind of a looking out at the world and saying, you know, like, where are, you know, the honest politicians, where are the people who are going to speak truth? You know, there, there's there's a lot of messages in his music that I think went, as they went over people's heads, but, you know, it's, that you you get, you know, enraptured by the you know the firework display that his vocal ability had that you kind of sometimes if you read a little closer like you did and and see the see the message underneath it's it's really profound yeah and and, and you know that's a you know an earlier sound right now and then like the lyrics of be yourself you know i think are one of my favorites um absolutely you know be yourself was definitely my favorite audio slave song uh and and, and lyrically it's so great uh, and, you know, right up until some of that stuff on the last solo album, you know, it's a couple of weeks ago, I was kind of getting back on that one a little bit more and, um, appreciating it. Yeah. His writing was so good and, you know, there's so many different styles too. Like if you look at the writing on Temple of the Dog and, uh, the theme of that obviously being centered around, you know, the death of Andy and you think of, you know, say hello to heaven or call me a dog or even reach down on that. Then, you know, you mentioned Bad Motorfinger, which is a real heavy album from the scene, maybe the heaviest of all of them, like a real kind of metal record almost. Right. You know, and then look at the last Audio Slave record, which is almost like a, um, I mean, it's almost got like uh, like original, uh, the original, what's it called? The original, was it Sin, Flame? Original Fire. Fire, original Fire, thank you. Uh, it's got like almost an African I, I'm speaking to the range of his abilities here, I guess, you know, that, you know, that's a really great point too. You know, if you listen to screaming life or ultra mega, okay, even those records, you know, before bad motor finger in the mid eighties when they were, uh, you know, or the late eighties when they were on yeah, like beyond the wheel independent. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a great one. Right. Um, you know, you, you listen to that sound and then you consider the fact that, you know, 20, 30 years later, he's working with Timbaland on that Scream album. And it's just sure. totally different from yeah. anything he's ever done. And then right after that, you know, he does another album with Soundgarden and then he puts out an, like an acoustic album. <laughs> it's just, 
he was wildly willing to go wherever he, you know, found interest. You know, I, I think that he was conscious of his image, but he was also not willing to sacrifice what he was interested in doing for the sake of maintaining an image. Yeah, and I remember listening to the um, – you mentioned it a few times in the book, the one interview he did on Stern. Um, and and i got to give credit to Stern, who did a really good job, I thought, of getting a lot out of him. And I went back and listened to a few of those interviews this week, too, to kind of prepare for this. And it was interesting to hear him talk about – because I think the one he did was just after Audio Slave had ended. And he was talking about transitioning into the singer-songwriter thing. And how he had really appreciated that transition in his career. And it got me to thinking about seeing him live. I'd I'd seen Soundgarden one time on Lollapalooza when they were headlining with Metallica. I think that was 96-ish. Yeah, and then I seen Chris Solo right the last, must have been the last solo run before he died. And then I had seen him several times, three times I think. At Pearl Jam shows, at Pearl Jam twenty, wow, yeah, at Pearl Jam twenty, both nights, uh, and and Chris actually mentioned how much he appreciated Ed for this, where Ed just kind of backed off and let there be basically an impromptu Temple of the Dog reunion, you know, three four songs. Uh, I know one right. night they played Reach Down, one night they played Call Me a Dog, and then both nights they played. Um, hunger strike with ad and i think maybe one other but so i have had these different experiences to see him you know play a plugged on plugged in show with the huge crowd i've seen him play the small theater acoustic only crowd you know seen him play with uh with with a band that's not even his you know so again we talked about the range in songwriting and he showed it on stage as well being able to entertain in all these different ways yeah, he was he was spectacularly diverse. I mean, like I, going to your experience, I saw him uh, perform in a Mad season, reading the show, which you know, and, right? And grunge has no Mad. That was at Benaroya, right? At Benaroya, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, yeah, Temple of the Dog comes out, and they right, you know, launch into Reach Down and Call Me a Dog. And yep. I'd seen him Soundgarden a couple times, and never saw the audio play. It would have liked that. That'd be cool. But um, yeah, it, it, depending, given every situation, it seemed like he was always ready to go and uh, always professional and always willing to. To let it go, you know, like really, really. I mean, like anytime you got to see Chris Cornell sing, it's always, always a pleasure. Give me this is always fun to do, and I'm putting you on the spot a little, but that that's all right. We won't hold you to it. Give me the top Soundgarden song for you, the top Audio Slave, and then the top Solo, and then the top Temple too. Oh, we'll man. do all four. <laughs> give, give give me one. You can only play one for each. Okay. All right. Okay, I'm I'm gonna do this for you. Uh, uh, you put me in the spot, but I'll I'll, I'll do the best. Right, I can. so I won't so, hold you to it. Let's go sound. Let's go sound guard. Sure. Yeah, this could change tomorrow. Right. But I'll, let's add that cat. <laughs> today's mixtape. Soundgarden. I'll go with the song Fourth of July off Super Unknown. Amazing. I think. Um, Heard it in the it's wind. The most vivid doom. Yeah, exactly. Saw it in the doom sky. Laden. Yeah. Yeah, thought it was the end. Thought it was the thought Fourth, it was the of, fourth July. of July. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, it was based on an acid trip that he uh, he had taken once. I read um, that in the book. You wrote about that in the book, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was based on an acid trip he'd taken. Um, you know, he he saw one figure and another figure, and um, it seemed like you know it would be really scary, but he was kind of comforted just by the fact that he wasn't alone. Um, really vivid song. So I go Fourth of July with my, my Soundgarden song. Great pick. Temple of the Dog. I'm gonna go with Call Me a Dog. Because uh, I do think that it's probably his greatest vocal performance. Oh, 
if you kind of think about where that song begins, like the way he kind of croons, right? It's kind of like just kind of smoky, and then th- there's that right before the Mike McCready solo, like just you know, you give me a leash, you drag me along. The way he just hits the high note on that is insane. I just I don't know how a human being can do that. And then um, solo, it's hard not to go with seasons mm. off the single soundtrack. Yep. Just because it's, I mean, I love Led Zeppelin three. It sounds like Led Zeppelin three. Who doesn't like that? <laughs> you know, right. that dark acoustic sort of vibe. And then um, Audio Slave is tough. It really is. Um, today, to, I'm, this could change tomorrow. Today, I'm going to go Shadow on the Sun. Uh, it's just that song is so dynamic and loud and aggressive, and it's not the most known song off that album. And you know, maybe tomorrow my answer will be I'm the Highway or Like a Stone or you know, the last remaining light, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go shadow on the sun today. Cause that song, I mean, especially in the collateral in the movie collateral, when uh, they're just kind of driving around and getting that car accident, that song's playing. I, I always love that scene. It's just fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to go with your time has come from, uh, from audio slave. Cause it's so rocking. Oh my God. Morello is insane in that song. Uh, but I do love be yourself. Cause it could be that too. Um, solo. Sure. I got to agree with you on seasons. Sunflower is close to, but, or sun shower. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And then, um, man, do I want to double up uh, just because I'm feeling it? I'll double up on, uh, singles and I'll go with birth ritual as my sound garden pick. And, uh, I, I mean, I got to get, get, get out in there and do hunger strike, but I do love call me a dog as well. <laughs> It'll be my next pick. Absolutely. Uh, let me ask you about legacy for a second. And we're talking to Corbin reef and I'm just having fun with this and just like, having fun remembering Chris and, and the book is amazing. It's called, um, do you, when you, when you give the title, I wanted to ask you this, when you give the title, do you say the word or was the title meant to be with the asterisks or is it, that like, like I, it, yeah. Depends on who I'm talking to. Okay. You know, it, 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 it's, you know, it's total fucking Godhead. We can right. go total effing sure. Godhead if you want. You know, okay. I, I'm, I'm cool with either interpretation. Yeah, no, total fucking Godhead. The biography of Chris Cornell. Uh, it's a val- It's been available since July, and it's it's just a fantastic look. A, a few years ago, we did a book called The Untold Story of Alice in Change by David DeSola, I think is his name. And it was a, it, right. I, I remember like halfway through thinking, yeah, this was an old untold story. Like, good job, you know, and I really enjoyed it. And for in some ways, in terms of this podcast, and for me, it felt like a sequel to that. Where we okay, we did, we got the Allison Chain story, and now let's focus on Cornell. And and it's just a really great, uh, all encompassing uh, journey through his career. And it's interesting because I was really surprised the other day uh, to see the interaction that you had with uh, Vicky Cornell, and uh, because obviously I had known that from reading the book that. She wasn't a part of it, that it got increasingly difficult to get people to participate as the complications um, in the Soundgarden and Chris Cornell world increased as they have the last few years, you know. Um, so I was surprised to see that. Uh, and I just wonder for you, do you get a sense of will these entities be able to work together? Like it, you know, it was interesting recently. It seemed like the, the other three got, you know, um, Ben and Kim and Matt started a, their own Instagram, you know, called new dragons. 
And I noticed that the Soundgarden Instagram has basically become a Chris Cornell Instagram. So there's an obvious split there, and there's obviously um, a battle between who owns what, what is what, all that. Whatever. We're not going to litigate that here. But do you get any kind of sense, like, is this going to be a Cold War? Can they come together? What is your experiences you know, I, here? Like, because I was shocked to see Vicky even speak up and and give you the. I was so glad she did, but I was shocked to see that for whatever reason. I don't know. Yeah, I think that all parties involved really love Chris. Sure. I really do. Uh, his band loved him. Vicky loved him. They're all good people, and I hope that yeah, someday that they you know, they could figure something out. You know, work something out. Get that whole situation gets resolved. Uh, because what matters is yeah, Chris Cornell is an incredible artist. I think that most people recognize that. And I think more people will continue to realize that uh, over time. And yeah, we can only just hope for the best. That's really what we can do. You know, like I said, you know, they all love Chris. They all really did. And they're all really great people. And I, yeah, I'm just hopeful about, you know, a positive resolution in the end. It seems like it all comes around at some point, you know, the, the ugliest yeah, splits, you know, eventually, you know, Yoko and Paul work together, you know, eventually Grohl and, Courtney worked together. You know, like it seems like eventually these things do come around. We're still, it, it's still really fresh, you know, and I think that's one thing yeah, she mentioned. Exactly. It's only, it, right. That's the thing that people have to realize. Right. I think that these are real people, and Chris was a real person, and he really meant a lot in, I mean, in their daily lives, you know, and to have that presence be ripped away is jarring, and it takes a long time to get over something like that. And, you know, to a lot of us, they're, celebrities there are these people who are important in our lives for you know artistic reasons but they are people too and it's it's always important to kind of remember that it could, you have also got the sense that there is essentially another soundgarden album there for us if we can get them to agree there's some there's some songs that are floating out there that chris had worked on you know we'll we'll see what happens to those at the end of the day I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can any anytime we can get more chris cornell music like that new cover he did a patience that was just released right yeah uh, fantastic you know any any day we can get more chris cornell music in the world is a good day to me all right let's kind of end on this and then uh, we'll plug everything make sure everyone knows where to go and, and where to get everything as well but sure. um i think one of the things that made the scene unique um and they talk about this in pearl gem 20 as well chris cornell talks about this was how much these guys supported each other's bands and how the the Seattle music scene in the early 90s was this group of bands that all were in each other's corner and kind of got out of Seattle and into a national view together and they always stuck together. And I, I was thinking about Eddie and Chris's relationship um, yesterday. I watched the... Um, solo performance of black that Eddie did about three or four months after his death. Chris Cornell died and Eddie Vedder, like I think the way he dealt with it is he went on tour. He got away, you know, right. got away from it. And, and the first time he addressed it was he, he played, he played black on a live show. I don't know if you've seen this clip, um, an unbelievable tribute to his friend. And, um, when you think about the legacy of Cornell and the band, how much of it is going to be the fact that this guy um, was just in everyone in the scene's corner and that, you know, the friendship, like when you think about Cobain, this is where I'm getting at. When you, when you think about Cobain, 
and how he dealt with the other bands. There's this like kind of fake adversarial, yeah, fake, but also adversarial like rivalry with Pearl Jam, you know, and Eddie specifically, and you know, Cornell or um, Cobain would kind of take shots at the music, but then kind of also kind of say, yeah, but he is a nice guy in reference to Ed. Um, so there's that, but then when it when you get to Cornell and Vetter and Cornell and almost anyone. It's so different, and I think that that, Mm -hmm. for me, is something I'm going to hold on to that, like, when Eddie Vedder showed up in Seattle, he says this all the time, the guy that made him comfortable to be there, you know, was Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell was the guy who said, hey, come out of the corner, and why don't you sing on Hunger Strike with me here? Look, let's let's do this, you know, like, he's he's the first one to endorse, you know, Eddie Vedder and say, you're a part of this, too. And you're a part of this scene. I know as someone who his number one band is Pearl Jam by a mile, and I'm sure you've gotten that sense. Um, I mean, like, you know, Pearl Jam is part of my identity. Like, people who know me, they know I'm a huge Saints fan and a huge Pearl Jam fan, right? Um, but when I think of Chris Cornell, who I also love and whose music I also love, um, one thing I'll always appreciate is that he was the guy who drove this, the, he drove the camaraderie of this scene. He was the guy who said, you know, yeah, this is a guy here too. Like he's with us. Sure, he's from San Diego or Chicago or wherever he was going by at the moment, but he's here now and he's going to be on this record and he's going to be a part of this scene. And they're brothers. And um, I know that Ed is at a hard time dealing with this. But what about that? The legacy of how Cornell is kind of the centerpiece of the scene and the guy that sort of legitimized it all. And um, although. Soundgarden didn't necessarily get to Pearl Jam or Nirvana level. They were close enough. And a Hall of Fame band, I think they should be anyway. Um, how do you feel about that and the legacy of Cornell overall um, when you look back after doing the book and as space starts to increase here? I think that that aspect of it speaks to his character extremely loudly. You know, I think for a lot of outside observers, um, you know, it's easy to view the Seattle scene the way we look at, you know, New York in the 70s or, or London in the 60s. But you have to remember that that was London and New York. Those were megatropolises, you know, with lots of clubs, lots of different bands competing for slots. Seattle wasn't like that at all. No one came to Seattle in the 80s. You know, if, if you got a tour, it was maybe David Bowie once a year or once every three years, you know, Bruce Springsteen show. There was just no one really coming to Seattle. So that scene developed because they wanted to hear music, so they had to make it themselves. And and it became real friends like that. One of the, the first, the first Soundgarden release kind of is this compilation called Deep Six, which had bands like Green River and Skin Yard. And at the time, Skin Yard had Matt Cameron in it. And Green River had, you know, Stone and Jeff and Mark Arm in it. Um, you know, this is 86, like before Pearl Jam was even right. thought of, before Mother Love Bone was even, Malfunction, Andy Wood's first band was on that compilation as well. Soundgarden was, was on there, the U-Men. So like, it was a small, tight-knit group of friends, first and foremost, and it became a scene as those, those bands just started to get prominent and get better, write better songs and everything like that. And then after Andy died, the way Chris handled it, paying tribute to him and embracing Eddie into that scene, you know, because his friends Stephen Jones, uh, Stone and Jeff said, you know, and then Mike, you know, said, you know, this is our guy. And Chris being, you know, cool enough to say, you know, hey, if it's your guy, then, you know, let's, let's bring him in. Right. Um I think that's it just it definitely speaks to his incredible character to not feel threatened and to, you know, open his arms to uh, to a newcomer like that. 
at the same time honoring a friend that meant a lot to him. Um, I can't imagine that uh, how difficult that must have been. And I always, you know, researching that part of the book and learning more about his his choices in that era, and really made me respect him a lot as a person. Yeah, it's like who knows? Maybe if Ed doesn't make a connection with Cornell, you know, maybe he doesn't come back a second time. You know, like I don't know. You know, like I just feel like yeah. it was so huge for him to to step up in that first week that Ed was in Seattle, you know, and say like, you know, Vetter has said a few times, you know, the first time he ever heard himself on a record was listening to the hunger strike. Um, well, what's crazy, even, even crazier about that. I'm sure as he read in the book is that a few days before he met Chris Cornell as a person, the first time introduced himself and saying with him and all that kind of stuff, he was down in Southern California, just a fan out in the crowd watching Soundgarden yep. perform on stage. Yep. Like literally days before, just another face in the crowd, just mm-hmm. some 20-something kid, you know. And then the, just a few days later, he's in the studio with this the same guy. It's it's pretty it's pretty wild. And and the book is full of anecdote, anecdotes like that. It's called Total Fucking Godhead, the biography of Chris Cornell, Corbin Reef. And I kind of had a decision. I was like, do I try to go anecdote by anecdote or error by error or do we just kind of just talk <laughs> about the guy and the band and i kind of went that route and maybe that was a mistake maybe it wasn't but no 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 um, i think we hey yeah it's good I, awesome you know yeah it's right and i want people to read this book um you can get it obviously on amazon it's you can get the book or you can get the you know the ebook if you prefer that um and you can audiobooks out there yeah audiobook you can follow uh corbin on twitter as well um, for information on that, what is, what's your Twitter? Just at Corbin Reef. Okay. R B I N R E I F S. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great way, obviously, to get um, information about the book as well. Um, what else are you up to? Um, anything else you want to promote or mention um, before I let you go? No, just follow me on Twitter. Hopefully, you know, uh, I'll, I'll have some new stuff to promote here soon so stay tuned for that um and in the meantime i hope everyone enjoys the book chris cornell is an incredible artist and you know it's such a such a loss not to have him here and i hope that as people read the book they can you know revisit that music again and understand why it meant so much to so many people thank you so much for doing this i appreciate it it was a pleasure thank you for having me I want to thank Corbin Reef and my man Jim Florentine for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can find this week's podcast and all of my podcasts on my SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters. Instagram is at sports casters. You can email me the sportscasters at gmail.com. Please check out my friend Peter Winson. He's greetings from Allentown at GF Allentown Pod on Twitter. Last week, he did an awesome episode on 1989 WWF, and this week he will be back with 1986 WCW, Jim Crockett. Now, with that said, Peter and I have a new podcast this week, and it's called the Adams Division Podcast. We try to do it quarterly. This is the eighth episode of the series, and we are doing a Dream SummerSlam card where we both picked one match, Uh, From every SummerSlam from 1988 to 98, uh, with the exception of one, so 10 matches. 
and you couldn't use any of the titles more than once, and you couldn't use uh, any of the wrestlers more than once. Uh, so we did this, and I think we did a pretty good job on it. And uh, I certainly enjoyed it, and it goes up tomorrow, uh, or Thursday, you know, wherever you are, Thursday, on the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed. Uh, so just look for Place to Be Nation. And then eventually it will go up on the Greetings from Allentown feed, either later this weekend or early next week. Uh, so if you follow Peter at Greetings from Allentown, you can see it there. And of course, I'm sure Peter and I will both tweet about it. So again, follow our Twitters at Sports underscore Casters. And at GF Allentown Pod. Shout out to my boy Adrian Dater. He's at A Dater on Twitter. He's one of the only United States hockey writers uh, in the Edmonton bubble. He's there covering his avalanche, who looked like they might win the whole damn thing. And I was talking to Adrian a few days ago, and I'm like, I got to get you on. We got to talk about what you're doing in the bubble. And he's like, Oh, yeah, definitely, for sure, you know. I think it'd be a really good spot. And I was like, let's find out who the Avalanche are playing in the second round. Well, that all happened real quickly. And they ended up playing Dallas. And they ended up getting their goalie hurt. And all of a sudden, they got their backs against the wall. And they've lost two games to none. So hopefully, we get Aaron or Adrian uh, before he leaves the bubble. Uh, but follow him. He's at Adater on Twitter. At COL Hockey Now. He's doing great work. I mean, like, like he said, he's one of, if not the only... Uh, beat writers for an American team that's in that bubble. He went, he quarantined, he did his business, and he's there covering the Avalanche. He's nobody's covered the Avalanche better or longer than him. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's a good dude. I'll defend him to the death. Because if you're on my side, you know you're on my side forever. Anyway, uh, one last thing today, and I have a whole list of topics. I do this on Evernote, and I keep a list of topics. I never note of things I might want to talk about in one last thing. And being that I'm in just a pissy mood, uh, there was a few that didn't seem like a good idea tonight. And then I was looking through the list, and one stopped me in my tracks. And it made me say to myself, you know, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, this one last thing is called Remembering Chip Malafrante. And uh, Chip uh, was the beat writer for Yale Hockey and Quinnipiac Hockey uh, for the New Haven Register. Uh, and he did it for many years. And certainly he did it while uh, Anthony was at Yale. And he passed away uh, a week or two ago. Uh, 48 years old. Cancer. Uh, he had a 12-year-old son, and uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, he had been tweeting, uh, and I know he wrote the article on the assistant AD at Yale retiring. Uh, and then it comes out one night. I'm just on Twitter, which is like the bane of my existence. And I see this news pop up that he's passed away. Uh, and I reach out to a friend who had also seen the news, and he said, yeah, you know, I hadn't heard from him for a while, so I reached out and thought that maybe he had been laid off because things like that happen in newspapers for sure. And, you know, it turned out that he had taken some time off because of his illness, but he said he was okay. Uh, the point being that he, he kind of fought this battle in silence. I don't think a lot of people knew. Certainly, I didn't. 
and a lot of people based on their reaction in the El Hockey community who live in New Haven uh, and read his work, uh, they didn't know either. Let me tell you a little bit about Chip because uh, I got to know him a little bit uh, the couple of years that my life and Yale Hockey intertwined, some of the best years of my life. And uh, I think I first got to know Chip uh, when uh, Yale won the national championship and Richard Deitch and I uh, started the uh, greatest picture ever chain. And it went viral. And Chip reached out to me uh, and he said, hey, you know, this is an amazing thing that's happening and I'd love to talk to you and I'd love to talk to Anthony and I want to write something for the paper. He did a column every week called Sunday Gravy. And he said, you know, it's it, I just want to get something in. I'll, I'll put something in my Sunday Gravy column. He's like, but I want to do more about you guys uh, when the fall starts, uh, when it gets closer to hockey, because this was like July. So he called me, and the crazy thing was, when he called me, I was checking into the hospital. I had a flare. You know, my health wasn't good in 2013. I, I had a huge surgery, and I was in and out of the hospital. Uh, but I didn't say anything to him about that. It wasn't that big of a deal. And we just kind of talked, and then he called Anthony, and him and Anthony talked, and he wrote just this great, great piece. And what I loved about his piece so much of the stuff that came out, Anthony and I and, and the picture, my brother Greg, we were we were an afterthought. You know, we we started it, my picture, my tweet, uh, Richard seen that and then he uh, parroted it and uh, it went crazy. Uh, and we were always mentioned and Richard was good about that. But I guess because of the local angle, this was a story that focused on us and what the picture meant to us and why why I tweeted what I did, why I felt like it was one of the best moments of my life, if not the best moment of my life at the time. And I love what he wrote, and I've shared it a hundred times probably at least by now over the years. And then I met Chip then at Ingalls that, that, that fall, and he came over to me and he shook my hand, and he said, you know, Oh, you know, this is so great. And I'm sorry I haven't gotten around to writing anything more yet, but I promise we'll do it. And we talked about Anthony. And every time I seen him at the ring from then on, you know, familiar face. We knew each other. We shake hands, say hello. And Anthony broke his leg senior year, and he came back uh, to play in the playoffs and the NCAA tournament. And Chip wrote a beautiful uh, front of the sports page article about Anthony. And his battle, and he got some quotes from me, and he's like so apologetic that he never got around to doing more about us, and he wanted to make up for it in this piece, which is so nice of him. Uh, and then when I did my five-year uh, retrospective, the Yale Hockey um, anniversary documentary series I did, Chip did an interview with me, which I cut up, and I put part of it in, in part two and part of it in part three, uh, and we had a great time recording that. He's just so nice to me. And, you know, Billy Joel is so right. I say this all the time. It is only the good that die young. You know, people say, you know, every time someone dies, you just hear the same stuff out of great they were, why, you know. It's because only the good die young, right? I believe it more and more. And this was a good guy. And he loved his son. You know, I got to read obituaries and, and the New Haven Register. Give him credit. Did an amazing job covering this. Uh, and his son was his world and 
he was given one week to live in October. And he lived into August. He battled like, what, nine months more? And supposedly he was driving again and he got great time with his son. He got nine months more and he made the best of that time. Man, what a badass, right? Like, you have one week. No, I don't. I have nine more months. Watch me. And it's not going to be hospice. I'm not doing that. I'm going to go to a ball game with my son. Fuck you and fuck cancer, right? Good for him. Good for you, Chip. A good dude. A really good dude. And he's gone too quick. And you know what? It's not fair. It's not. You know, and I know life isn't fair. Um, And I get that. You know, I do. I do get that. Uh, but it just sucks. Uh, and I'm thinking about his son. And I'm praying for his son. And I'm praying for Chip. Because Chip was good. And I always think back to this performance of Pearl Jam's Light Years. Uh, from the Pink Pop Festival in 2000. And Eddie Vedder is talking about how they had lost a friend in that area. And they didn't get to say goodbye. And he makes a point to say, if you got good friends, love them while they're here. You know, so I guess that's the message today. If you got good friends, if you got good family, everything that's going around in this world, it just seems so brutal. Close your circle. Focus on the people that you love and the people that love you. Place to